preschool. I declare bankruptcy. Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression. Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Why you ignorant slut? Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. You're listening to the Great Scott Office Podcast. I'm Jay Ray, and with me is my deskmate, Jacob. How's it going, everybody? How are you on this fine 2017 day? Uh, it was good. My first meal of the new year was hibachi and sushi, so that was a good way to start off. Wow, that's more legit. I had a, I had buttered rye bread toast. And then I ate a bowl, a whole bowl. Like, actually, I'll show you this bowl of uh, sour cream and onion potato chips from our our last night's festivities. So, okay, so this is just a, a random question. So, is there like a Jersey like food you're supposed to eat on New Year's Day? I don't think so. I mean, we. Uh, we have our famous uh, Taylor Ham breakfast sandwich. Uh, what the the other word for it? <sighs> Taylor Ham or pork roll. Pork roll is the other word, right, which apparently is only ever served in New Jersey. But that's, that's really an anytime breakfast kind of thing, which I did have yesterday. Because in um, – like down in Texas, like you're supposed to eat black-eyed peas for good luck for the new – like on New Year's Day. Mm. It here it's all about sauerkraut. Like if you don't eat sauerkraut, you're gonna have a bad year. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, nope. I think Jersey is just uh, make sure you make it through the day. That's what it is. Yeah. So uh, we're wrapping up season three today, sir. Yes, yes, we are. It's been a it's been a long road. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy that we've covered three years of The Office by the time this episode will be over. Yeah. Then we'll have what six more years left? Right? Four, five, six, seven, eight, yeah. nine. Yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jeebus, Jeebus, Jeebus. Um, well, I guess last time we did the little uh, Reddit touch-ups at the end, but maybe we'll just do it at the beginning if that's cool. That's fine. Um, so thank you everyone on our Dunder Mifflin from Reddit who uh, gives us feedback every time we post a new episode. Uh, this one comes from Crantonius, who let us know that the actress playing Andy's girlfriend from Product Recall was 27 at the time of filming. Uh, and this individual also incorrectly spelt my name, saying, so J-Ray is close when he says she could be 16 or 30. So there you go. Still, I think they did a really, got, really good job of, like, younging her up. For yeah, no, definitely. Because I never got the impression. I mean... I know she was probably over 18 because all the actors are older than they ever play. Right, you right. Know? But, yeah, I, I, they did a good job. Um, we also have one from Jack's Wagon. Um, he says, I've always got the impression that David Wallace lived in Long Island, despite the house they filmed at, almost definitely in California. The style and architecture definitely fits with the Long Island, and that is where a lot of New York execs live. Plus, that is also a somewhat reasonable drive from Scranton. Um, so, Jacob and I were just talking about it briefly before we went on, and uh, I mean, really, they don't say it. We've looked a bunch, 
it's not really ever clear. And as Jack says here, and Jacob has told, uh, I think he said last podcast, like they filmed in Hollywood, L.A., all that jazz. So, we're, we're, I mean, we're doing a show for a couple years about a specific TV show, so obviously we care. Um, but there's going to be a point where we have to be like, all right, well, <laughs> it we just can't. Find <laughs> we'll it never know. Research we'll never all know. we can. Yeah, but I think Jersey, I think Long Island, I think Connecticut, I think those are all reasonable uh, locations for a big wig executive to live in proximity to a, a Scranton just, office. Just because you know. I have the the normal prejudices that everyone has against Jersey. I would assume it would be Connecticut or Long Island, just you know, because I don't think Wallace would live in Jersey. Son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and last up, we got our good friend Ambivalent Soup coming back to clarify. Uh, They say, quote, the women's clothing industry is a cartel. They're all working together to keep pockets small, so they have to sell us purses. If women had pockets that we could actually fit our things into, we wouldn't need to spend extra money on purses. That's also why they make our wallets so effing big. They can sell us purses to keep them in. It's a racket, I say. (laughs) Well, let me tell you. I think uh, having pockets is overrated um, because come summertime, when my girlfriend wants to travel a little bit lighter and she doesn't want to carry a bag around, now that I'm the one with pockets, I'm the one that has to carry everything. Putting in two cell phones, my own wallet, her bundle of payment options plus my keys sometimes her keys it's then i wish i had a purse and there are times <laughs> I've, I've definitely been there where i'm like oh like i was you know, wearing cargo shorts and like every pocket is yeah i mean i think it was a big thing this year that people were saying cargo shorts are like way out of fashion and one it's like well that's ridiculous who cares two I need to because if our our ladies or friends or whatever are not going to be carrying their own belongings, we need to pocket up, you know? Where am I supposed to put, uh, you know, chapstick and, uh, you know, Pokemon Go watches and all that jazz, if not my extra cargo pockets? That's right. Um, Uh, Yeah. I don't care how out of style they get. I'll never stop wearing them. (laughs) Yeah. It's way too convenient. Uh, But I do have like a sweet – Indiana Jones style messenger bag that I will wear when uh, appropriate just because I too like to carry more than can fit in my pockets. I mean, you sit down, you know, I think uh, those of you that were fortunate enough to tune into the Broken Jar Secret Santa live show a couple days ago, um, I clarified that previously I had like a George Costanza thick wallet, <laughs> um, you know, and a, a man bag helps uh, solve those back issues. <laughs> well as always uh when we post leave some feedback and we'll talk about it at the beginning of the show um and that is it for now so we will dive into it sir all right first up we have season three episode 22 i wrote down the wrong episode number of my notes woman's appreciation written by gene sapinski and lee eisenberg and uh, directed by Tucker Gates. What a dumb first name. Tucker. Tucker. <laughs> One of my friends in college is named Tucker. Well, you, I mean, if you ever stumble across him on the social sphere, you let him know that I said so. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, this is a pretty good cold open where Jim comes in and Dwight gives him, gives him a demerit for being late. Uh-huh. So 
that's pretty funny. And I did the math. So there, there's this higher or this sort of leveling system for demerits. So three demerits equals one citation, five citations equals a verbal warning. And he didn't actually give an equivalency for verbal warnings to written warnings. He says if you keep that up. Okay. But two written warnings is a report typed up in place on the desk of his uh, superior, like next uh, highest person in the command, you know, in the chain of command, which is Jim. But assuming, and I think I did this. Oh, I know. I think I screwed up. But anyway, it's at least 60 demerits to get all the way up to the written report that is placed on Jim's desk. Well, that's the question I had asked my girlfriend when we were watching this episode last week. Is that, uh, do you need all the small denominations each time? You know? So it's a demerit to a verbal warning? Right. Or no, to a citation. To a citation. So you need. You need all those demerits to one citation, and then you don't immediately get another citation. You go back down to demerits, and then you get a. That's what it seems. So it seems like. like right, yeah. So then it is a ridiculous amount, and a terrible way to administer, uh, you know, punishments. Oh, this is also one of my wife's least favorite episodes because of just how terrible and sexist it is. So it's something we'll we'll have to talk okay. about. Okay. Um, so so the crux of the episode, essentially, after that hilarity ensues, is that Phyllis comes in um, kind of, you know, gaunt and ghost-like uh, because she had a terrible experience outside where a man presented his genitals onto a map. And uh, the office immediately springs into action. We have um, Dwight, who runs outside to chase the individual down. We've got Jim, who decides to call the police. The real cop. Yep. And then Andy, really the day saver, as he always is, uh, <laughs> says he will check the web. <laughs> yep. And um, yeah, so they all they all go to their battle stations to do it. Michael comes in. And this is a really great reaction of Michael. I think it's probably one of the truest character forms of him, right? Because he comes in and he's genuinely concerned, right? Because he actually cares for the safety of everybody in the office. Once he knows that everybody is safe, then he could – break that barrier and enjoy the situation for what it is, which is uh, man penis. <laughs> and yeah, he starts laughing. He's like, Phyllis, really? Because Phyllis had gone on a walk with Bob Vance. He's like, did they see Karen or, Pam or Pam or Karen from behind? That's right. And what does that mean? Then, so what, Karen's only hot from her butt? Is that what's happening? Well, we... It gets established very much that, um, even in this episode, that Michael is a boob guy. Uh-huh. Like, those are the most important things on a woman for him. And, you know, Karen, while gorgeous, is kind of small-chested. Okay. And she's probably at most like a 32B. Boy, you went there. I do not know <laughs> boobs enough to go that far into my estimations, but... Sure. I mean, listen, I think um, what Michael's missing really is if you got to show your dong to somebody, you'll really show it to anybody who's looking. So I, I don't think you, you can be picky when you are a a pervert. And then, you know, like he has this whole bit where he's like, uh, 
like, oh, you know, have you never seen comedy? You know, he just dropped his pants and he pulls out his finger penis. Oh, boy. Let me tell you. I, uh, it's, yeah, it's 100% fired right uh, there. Immediately. Um, I recall listening to the director's commentary of this episode, and they said that they really had to clearly show Steve Carell put his hand down his own pants and had the finger come out. Because then when you do the jacket reveal, like at a quick glance, it's jarring. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I guess that would be a thing. I never really thought about <laughs> it, but yeah. Um, so Toby comes in uh, amidst the finger boner in which it immediately falls down. Um, and Michael makes some terrible jokes about needing to see Toby's penis for verification that he, in fact, is not the pervert himself. Um, I mean, also Fireball, right? Commanding the CHR representative's penis. Oh, yeah. um, he, he goes, as the words were coming out of my mouth, I immediately regretted it. That kind of thing. I knew I had gone to. Yeah. Um, and then, then he starts to like feel bad about it. And it's all talking about how, like, you know, they have to feel safe to have fun. Like, we have us, me and Jan have a safe word. It is foliage. And she pretends not to hear it. Yeah. It's, um, I think, I think Jan thus far has been not a great significant other to Michael. But I don't think I would go so far as to say she had been crazy yet, you know? Until we start learning this information. That they have safe words that she ignores. Um, later on, that they, ha- you know, we'll cover it. But later on, that they have intercourse and they record it, and immediately go over it as if they were John Madden. <laughs> um, the role playing, but with gender reversal, you know, um, which you know, theoretically, all totally fine concepts if both parties approve. But clearly, Michael is right. not a consenting party in this. That's yeah, he he is not. <laughs> yeah, so that's when. Uh, I think this episode is really when you start to see Jane be crazy. And really, this these three episodes, it like um, it just kind of gets nuts, you know, uh, for right. her. You, yeah. Right. And I think well, – I guess we can go ahead and get to this now. So, like, at the end of the episode, she comes in after asking him to, you know, drive to New York. And she's like, I'll give you $300. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. And, um, so, but she like woman's up, drives the screen to apologize, you know, and then she gets this voicemail with Michael breaking up with her. And I think that's when you really see her go off. The yeah. Well, like that's that, that, that last little bit of sanity shattered right there. Yeah. I mean, because what else do we find out? Oh, so we find out, like you said, that he's driving so far and then she is being so cold as to even be like, well, I'll leave money on the dresser as if he's some type of like a lady of the night, you know? Um, yeah. And I feel like up until this point, we haven't really understood what Michael had been experiencing, you know? Right. Uh, that's that's because sure. there are moments. Uh, what is it when he's about to jump off the roof in safety training, where Daryl's like, "Lovely, lovely Jan." Mm. <laughs> and Michael's like, "Things are complicated with Jan." Yeah, you definitely get the impression there that it's uh, that he that the relationship isn't great. Yeah. Um, so they're having this meeting, and Michael. Uh, Michael probably gives the most accurate description of a women's 
imprint a woman's impression of a penis, which is that in the right circumstances, it could be the most beautiful sight. Um, now, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't think that's probably true no. for yeah. most women. No. <laughs> I mean, I will say that. Uh, I think in the heat of the moment and with the one that you love, there are things that on a regular kind of like – like right now we're talking about a TV show. If someone dropped trow, man or woman, it would be terrifying. you know. But in the right context, there is an appealing artistic quality to it. Um, that being said, I don't think Michael needed to explain that during a meeting to make sure that someone who was just harassed or assaulted – uh, you know, it, it was tough. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that conference room meeting would have gotten fired. Would have gotten him fired. You know, he was. You know, he's like, what? Somebody, I think it was Angela's. Like, whenever you know, we're tr- we're talking, you always ask for on our period. And he's like, because I need to know if you're being serious or not. You know. Yeah, that's uh. Oh boy. I, I mean, really, this whole episode would be Michael's last day in this office. Yes. <laughs> yeah, countless things. So, And then we have Creed, on the other hand, who's like, what's the big deal? <laughs> He's just hanging brain. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, who knows? What does he say? He's, uh, if, uh, if flashing is against the law, lock, uh, or something like... If that's... It's something to the effect of, if that's against the law, then lock me up. Right. Um, so clearly, I mean, you wonder then if Creed knows this guy. It's never touched on, but you know, with the the characters that Creed knows, and obviously his hobbies now, it's crazy. Um, well, this is when you start to see like more and more the weirdness of uh, Creed, because we have the whole you know in the women's bathroom scene later that he's like, I'm a pretty normal guy. I do one thing that's weird. Yeah. I don't really get it. I wonder if it's because the joke is that women's bathrooms are supposed to be cleaner, though I feel I've read that women's bathrooms are actually worse because women hover. Uh, So they miss a lot more. You know, most of the, you know, what, 50% of the time a dude goes to the bathroom, he's, he's urinating. Uh, So you're standing, you're aiming, you know, we're very precise in that regard. Um, but for ladies, I guess because – and I'm speculating, not a woman. So please leave feedback for us so that we can talk about it next time. But my understanding is that they hover. And because of that, they're they're dropping kind of stuff all over the place. Um, and because of that, it's messier. That That's what I've, I've read on, on, this, uh, on Reddit's, you know. Janitors at uh, sports stadiums and stuff, like the women's rooms are always like way worse. So I don't really know why Creed likes to go in there. And obviously the ladies are probably fine with it. Right? Is that, it seems that way. It's Because it's not like he was taking advantage today because they were out. No, 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 no. They're not fine with it. He says that like he's been caught many times and he has paid for it dearly. See, I took that as like generally. Like he goes to Burger King's women's restroom and it's not so good. But I wonder like if he has some type of truce with like Meredith and Phyllis where they're like, all right, Creed, you're okay. Man, I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just really doubt it. <laughs> um, and we also learned that the mall is where women feel the most comfortable. 
at least according to Mike Scott. Yeah, which is a little sexist, but fortunately Karen has stuff to return, so she can do that. <laughs> and Kelly is like, like, I feel like Michael thinks that every woman is Kelly. Oh, yeah. That Oprah Winfrey song, that I'm every woman, is Michael singing it in his head, and it's Kelly dancing around. Um, well, before we leave that meeting, though, so penises are lovely, whatever. Karen says everything that's being said is misogynistic, and Michael is extremely thankful for it because he's not being sexist. Um, he tasks Pam with uh, doing a doodle of the pervert, the uh, flasher. Um, she sits with Phyllis. Phyllis says she didn't get a good look. Pam's like, no problem. I don't want to answer for this. That's right. And she doodles up something. Who doesn't seem the type? Uh, for those uh, for those viewers who don't get it, it's Dwight with a mustache. <laughs> and it's just so funny because he can't see right. it. And I don't know why he can't see it. He just can't. You know, the, so Andy is, uh, is uh, I don't know, what drafted to helping Dwight, right? Uh, to put up these posters. And then he sees it and kind of, you know, pauses at the glance. He does a smirk or whatever. Now, does he get it? Does he know he's putting up posters of Dwight and that this is all a joke? Or is post-anger management Andy kind of like, oh, there's a similarity, but I'm here to help. I'm a team player. And he's doing it despite the fact. Like he doesn't realize. Like he's so blinded by his need to help Dwight because Dwight has been shunning him that uh, he, you know, he'll, he'll not use common sense in this situation. No, uh, he... I had a feeling that he re like he knew what was up. Okay, especially because Dwight was being an asshole to him the whole time. So that's why at the end of the episode he's like, "You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take these, put it around schools, hospitals, right, right, post office." I think he played that really well because that was pretty funny. Well, you know what? It all works out in the end because Dwight steals his candy bar, which also a fireable offense, theft of property, right? He wanted to share. There was no Holsey's option, Dwight. You bastard. <laughs> um, okay, so we got the doodle going up. We got uh, – so as you've established, because uh, the workplace is a masculine environment, as Michael says, they decide to go to the mall. Um, and they go. And this bit is like really great because we get to see characters who don't interact with each other all the time. Uh, we get to see characters who don't talk a lot talk a lot more. And um, – Really, Meredith and Angela's little bits that are here are some of like my favorite bits of the whole episode. Where we learn that Angela really hates storing them all because she has to shop in the junior section or the colonial, you know. Yeah, American uh, colonial-sized American dolls. Yeah. So I looked it up because I was curious. So she says she wears a kid-sized tent. Yeah. So that is recommended for most eight and nine year olds. All right. That are um, 52 to 55 inches tall. Okay. So. Like four and a half. Yeah. Eight. I mean, what is the, uh, what is the minimum height for that uh, to be considered a not fully heighted adult? I don't know. Uh, I, don't I think know. it's like no. it's around four feet. Is that it? Um, uh, I'm not like I said. I'm not sure. I don't know. Anyways, well, Angela's tiny, 
And they have some really, really great visuals as she's describing this, where she's climbing on top of a chair to get access to a printer that's on top of a filing cabinet, which honestly is like a really weird place to put a printer anyways, but that's fine. I get it. It's a good joke. They don't have a lot of desk desk space, you know? Well, I mean, she, she works next to the printer. So why... Is there a secret printer that she needs access to in another part of the office? But I get it. The gag is great. It's good visuals. Um, this is this was the beginning of me uh, being into Angela, so to speak. Um, my girlfriend still disagrees. <laughs> Angela is too mean uh, for her to accept that uh, point of view, but that's fine. I will take tiny Angela. Um, and then... Meredith has some great bits with her. So we, we are introduced to the minivan of her and her driving the minivan specifically. Um, this is not the first uh, trip in the That's minivan. correct. Yeah, we, we did have the... Did we have the concussion? Yeah, right? Yeah. In the injury, That's right. yeah. Um, so she's driving it. She's eating chips out of the bag. She's dumping the bag out of the window. People are saying, you shouldn't let her. She's saying, my car, my rules. Like, she's some type of 11-year-old. Um She's trying to park in spots that are clearly too small and doing very clear non-accidental damage to other people's vehicles. <laughs> it was a little tight, yeah. though. I mean, just a little tight. Not, not, not a big deal. <laughs> uh, you know, New Jersey is super crowded. And I recall way back in high school, I was with my mom. And she had just parked. And a dude was trying to get out of a spot. And because, I don't know, maybe it was winter or just maybe because Jersey people don't know how to park, this guy was really close to my mom. And he said, hey, I'm trying to get out. I might have to hit you a little. And my mom's like, that's not – you don't say that. That's not a valid thing. This is not how this works here. But Meredith is clearly on that dude's side. Um, yeah, and then we're in the mall, the famous Steamtown Mall. Right. So we, we should backtrack. So the guys go into the the women's restroom. And, you know, Kevin, Kevin's like, it's every guy's fantasy. Jim's like, what do you mean? <laughs> and he walks in there, and Kevin has his great reaction. He's just like, oh, my God. You know? <laughs> it is, uh, I thought it was hilarious. And then we find out that Karen and Jim have been officially dating for six yep. months. And that Ryan emailed her. Right. <laughs> And so, you know, Jim has some fun at Ryan's expense for apparently a very not good email. And and uh, I think it's also worth noting that there has been a bit of a rivalry between Ryan and Jim that has been building up, you know. We've yeah. got uh, Ryan taking Jim's seat originally. Um, that's until, uh, I forget the name of that episode, but before he gets moved to the Annex. That was in business, business school. Um, then we see here that he's going after Karen, but Jim's already got Karen. Jesus, my cat is taking a shit next to me. And what we're hearing is her consistently putting litter. Molly, can you shit somewhere else? Okay. Um, and then later on in season four, um, Ryan makes a move on Pam. Right. And Jim is already dating Pam at the time. So, um, And then that, and that's, and that's not even going even further later on where – Ryan is specifically calling out Jim for his lack of work and, you know, going over his head and all that kind of jazz. Yeah, then it gets it gets real ugly toward the end of season four with that whole thing. 
Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's yeah, that's sort of one of the subplots that just kind of fills through season four is uh is the Jim Ryan thing, right? Yeah, which you know I've got a feeling like it, it kind of you kind of get the feeling that Ryan knows Jim would have gotten the job if he had take if he had stayed. Oh sure, you, you know because it. I don't know. Well, we'll get to this, but it always seemed like it was Jim's job. Like Wallace was going to give Jim the job until he decided to go get paint. Right. And so, you know, he probably, Ryan probably understands that, you know. Yeah, I think um, that's valid. So what he's trying to do, he's, uh, he's trying to peacock, right? He's trying to be like, yeah. well, I have it now. So you're going to have to deal with a Thunder Mifflin that is whatever the hell is positioned by <laughs> Ryan Howard. Um, yeah, the bathroom thing's a little weird. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of couches in this place. I don't know why they decide to stay in there because not for nothing, despite how clean it could be, it's still where people take a dump. So, like Jim just like completely passes out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And is Oscar in there? No, right. Um, no. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. But Ryan's in there, Kevin's in there, Toby's in there. Who thinks they spend an, an, an adequate enough time hanging out already? No need to. <laughs> Go further. <Yeah. laughs> um, but back at the mall. So now they're all eating lunch, uh, drinking their iced teas and their sodas. Um, they decide to have a conversation about, you know, their dishing, Right. Uh, is it Pap Schmear or is it Pap Smear? Uh, it is Smear, apparently. I have asked. I've been told that is the answer, hopefully. <laughs> um, but that's when we start to dive into some of the weird sex stuff. Role-playing, Michael dressing up as a schoolgirl, the videotaping, the therapy, um, you know, all that jazz. So, So here's... I don't want to get too far down this road, but like, why, why does she want him to dress up as a school? Like, 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 is there some like bisexualness going on in there? I I don't know. I'm probably just way overthinking this. Well, I think it might fall in line more. Oh, so this is very similar to where does David Wallace live? Right. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. But if I had to guess, based on her personality, it seems like a, maybe a more of a power dynamic than a gendered thing. You know, like a schoolgirl is a very, uh, you know, clear representation of someone who has no, you know, there's there's just rules with a schoolgirl. They're always like there's teachers and all that kind of jazz or whatever. And he didn't specify, I don't think. He just said schoolgirl, right? He didn't say Catholic schoolgirl. Right. that'd be a whole nother box to open but uh i think that's what it is you know she's a supervisor she's his supervisor how can we extrapolate that relationship into something more hyperbolic and have her probably be some type of teacher and him being a schoolgirl? there could be some humility going on he's wearing a skirt who knows what he's wearing underneath it goodness gracious i hope a lot but <laughs> you know well, yeah, and that also kind of makes me think of a scene from Deadpool. Mm. I won't go into that, but 
You probably know what I'm talking about if you've seen the movie. Yeah, it's tied to a holiday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, so the women are very surprised by this and quickly say that this is not necessarily normal behavior. Right. Yeah. And then uh, Pam and Karen start to kind of split up here in terms of how they view the relationship. Karen says that some of the things you just have to work your way through it. And Pam says, well, sometimes that's just not right for you at all. And uh, I would say at the very Obviously a reflection of their relationships with Jim. That's right. Yeah. Um, or rather, I guess their their most recent relationships because Pam is probably closer to Roy. But you're right. Karen is right. kind yeah, of fighting yeah. through whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So that's that. Michael starts crying. Uh, they don't really come to a conclusion. Oh, they do. They do. So they're saying, what do you want? No. He says, what do I do about Jan? And Phyllis uses mm-hmm. some motherly tricks. Well, we also get the uh, the pros and cons list. Oh, yes, we do. The pros, she's smart, nice clothes, um, some other stuff. Cons, uh, flat-chested, um, her chest. He, at least three things are about her boots. That's right. Yep. Flat-chested. Her chest is nothing to write home about. Shrunken chesticles. She's insecure. Uh, and he's unhappy when he's with her. Do you think... So, jumping up ahead to uh, the job. Jan gets a boob job, right? Right. Do you think Michael has verbalized his boob thing with her? Or do you think that's just kind of like she happened to have done that? Um, I don't know. It seems really calculated on her part. Yeah. You right. know. Um, so I would I would uh, assume that there is some knowledge there. That's reasonable. Yeah. Um, well, and also we know that Michael keeps a diary. And she knows where that diary is. So it could have been in there too. Um, so Phyllis says, do you want to, you know, do you want to be with her or not? Michael Freudian Lee says, I want to break up with her. And he feels really good, even though nothing's happened. He has some uh, calorie free yogurt. And as a token of appreciation, he says, I will buy each of you one thing from this fancy store which is victoria's secret right and again kelly jo- like runs in like as fast as possible like super excited. yeah you know these last three episodes too kind of show uh i mean i guess not so much in uh oh no beach games does do it uh you know where kelly and michael are on the same page it's like weird you know but um because then there's the amanda Bynes bob hope comparison in the next one and then the, the right. lack of offendedness that Kelly approaches this Victoria's Secret shopping spree. Um, so they go in. Also, a really great uh, interaction between Michael and Angela here, where he just basically lists different pieces of underwear, offering to buy them for her. <laughs> like there was a couple in there. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, I like to re- read into this stuff too much, but. This is another kind of, you know, a mirror against Karen and Pam where, you know, Pam is in this like 
bachelorette mindset. You know, she's just like she's trying to be on her own and she's trying to be self-sufficient. You know, she's trying to be more honest, all that jazz. So she goes to Victoria's Secret and she's like, well, it's not really for me, but I could get a, a robe that she can cut into hand towels. It's very nice and she's very modest. And then Karen shows up in this weird ass neo flipping matrix green set of something or other and then she's trying to get feedback from phyllis which is also weird it's like not for nothing but i think karen would know what jim would like visually better than phyllis lapin would well she asked if it was too much and i don't i don't know maybe like maybe because it was a really like like super green thing like me it, it was just a weird thing I, you feel like um i don't know you feel like there's other things to wear if you're trying to buy something for your dude but also and i don't know about you jacob but i've never purchased undergarments for myself based on what i think my significant other would enjoy so maybe i'm not the best person to judge karen's uh <laughs> buying decision here it, w- it was just a little weird bit and I, I obviously uh structurally it, w- it was so that karen uh pam had to listen to it right like in the background but in practical stance i mean there's i mean ask kelly jesus phyllis i know she was called you know easy rider back in the day but i still wouldn't really give her much gym attractive points you know right but you know karen and phyllis they they do sit right there sure next to each other so maybe there's a bit of a friendship there we haven't seen yet you know? okay because you, you would think that they would have kind of gotten to know each other a little bit with, with how close they sit to each other despite the um the perfume debacle hey oh. hey she she you know she came back yeah you know men from metropolitan orlando that's right which i which were i will a week from right now, I will be in Metropolitan Orlando. So you keep a lookout for a perfume made of real pine. <laughs> um, so that whole thing wraps up. Everybody uh, gets their shit, and they start driving away, and they have a flat tire. Um, <laughs> Michael is like, uh, is there a Crescent Allen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and listen, not for nothing. Like, I know, like, it's a joke that Michael is the only dude and uh, he doesn't know how to fix a tire or whatever. But, like, fixing a tire is not super easy, especially not on the side of a highway and such a thin thing. So, you know, let's let's give Michael some slack here. Well, you know, and I mean, the fact that he doesn't know that what he's holding is a jack and ramming it into the side of a tire is not the way to unscrew anything, I think is funny, but... Right, but it's also, you know, a lot of people, I think it's that a lot of people never have to change a tire more than, like, ignorance of knowing how to do it. Right. You know. Um, But Pam comes to save the day. Yep, she's being awesome and being Pammy. Um, So she has Michael kind of direct traffic. Um, All the ladies kind of help to do it, but Pam is obviously the, uh, the director of the project. And also in the director's commentary, Pam is giving like her last talking head on the side of the road before they drive away. And she does that thing where she wipes her brow and gets a little grease on it or whatever. And they said like it took a very long time for them to do that just right so that it wasn't like a huge smudge and it wasn't too subtle. Like they wanted like a nice line. She does it. 
Um, so, so it had to be cute. cute That's exactly right. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, they fix that. They head back. Um, in the interim, Dwight and Andy have fully spread out all of those flyers or whatever. Um, Andy's chocolate bar has been stolen, <laughs> which is the right. biggest travesty of this episode. It's not the flashing. It is the theft of candy. Um, <laughs> Three musketeers. Too. Yeah. you know, it, yeah. Back when I could eat chocolate, I really liked those. It, you know, it's nice. It's light. It's airy. You know, it's not bad. Um, let's see. Oh, and then as you had said earlier, uh, he calls his ladies in, Michael, uh, to actually break up with Jane, and we have that super awkward scene. Don't well, one never ever 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 break up with someone over voicemail. That's bad for right. And if you are going to do it, then change your phone number immediately after. I think that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like do do it at the AT and T store. That's right. Like, we're done. Please change my number. Yeah. Um, yeah and and the ladies are all shaking their head don't do it don't do it and then Jan walks in well that's what's great she walks in as he's finishing up that thing like hello buddy (laughs) thanks you know like thanks buddy what what comes to my mind when he says that and this is obviously because I've watched the whole thing is when Pam is uh, handing him post-its with like random bits of information so he can see more important or whatever and there's one where um, I think Ryan's in the same room as him and Pam comes in with a little post-it and it's, Hey buddy. And it's a hot dog waving. And then he calls someone cause Ryan's like, well, obviously customer service is key. So please take that call. And he calls right. a nonsense number and says, Hey buddy. So every time I watch this episode, I think about the hot dog post-it note. And, and like I was saying earlier, like I think if, if well, one, I think if Michael had waited just a little bit, he wouldn't have dumped her in the first place. Right. Because like I said, like what she did is an integrity move. She she flat out apologized. She, you know, said she'd been really selfish and like really, really did the right thing here. Like I, I really respect Jane for doing what she did. And then she gets dumped by Michael Scott, who I don't think you can come back. No, from. not at all. Uh, she is ruined. And, uh, and whatever happens to her for the rest of the season is definitely, I mean, I mean, it was obviously a long time coming, but this is a big catalyst, I think, to her kind of going off the rails. Yeah, no, I think if Michael hadn't dumped her, she might have been okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, as, as okay as Jan can be. That's right. Um, so she storms out. Uh, Michael has successfully broken up with a woman. <laughs> Good job, Michael. Um, yeah, and then, uh, then we've got our little tag at the end where um, Jim calls Dwight, says, I have information about the flasher. Uh, he says to look in the women's bathroom above the sink where he runs. He does it. He's trying to figure it out. And the camera and him move in such a way that a poorly drawn mustache on the mirror is shown on his upper lip as he takes off his own glasses, revealing... He looks exactly like the flyer. Uh, it's great. And he is not happy. With no. That. Yeah. I mean, this is a solid episode. It's really good. Uh, it was another nice bit where, like, 
Michael's talking. He's like, I, you know, there's a fountain at Steamtown Mall, and I, <laughs> I threw it. <laughs> it's like, and it was very obviously like Wizard of Oz stuff. Like Jane to get over me, Pam to gain courage, which is like the second or third time Pam and Cur, at least the third time right. Pam and Courage have been referenced this season. Uh, Angela Hart, Kelly Abrain. Right. Um, and this also. It's going to come up a bunch, especially as we approach season four, but Michael's money problems or monkey problems, as he likes to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, he says he dropped in a penny for every woman of on the world, right? Clearly, he accidentally dropped a dollar or something that he's trying right. to fish out, you know, with his foot. Um, well, if you want to talk about money problems, holy shit. I mean, buying that much stuff from Victoria's Secret is pricey. Well, I wonder, part of me wonders too, if it's not something he tries to pass off as a corporate expense. I don't know if it's going to get through, right? But, um, you know, when he took Jim out for lunch at Hooters, you know, he tries to do that. He used his company card once to pay for magic items, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I wouldn't be super surprised if... um, if it ends up coming up that way that he goes to Toby's like here, I bought all the women in this office underwear. Please refund me. Cause like, like a, in a bra from Victoria's secrets, like 60, 70 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Those things ain't cheap. No, I mean, I don't know why underwear is so expensive. I mean, I guess Victoria's secret sometimes makes them so that they can be visually appealing for those sexy moments in a woman's life. But, um, I mean, even dudes' underwear, you know? I'm wearing a pair of blue boxers right now. The whole pack costs way too much money. I'm just farting it all the time, you know? Like, come on. Come on. Well, I know a, I, I know a lot of women who say Victoria's Secret has the most comfortable bras on the market. I've heard that as well. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but that's what they say. I mean, unless someone comes back and says otherwise, um, we're going to have to take their word for it. Maybe I'll just go get an A cup and see what it feels like. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what would you give this episode, sir? Uh, I gave this a three point five out of five. Like I said, it's really solid. Um, it'd probably be higher if it was funnier, but it does. It's a bit more serious than a lot of episodes go. You know, but it, we're also setting up the the final arc. I mean, these the, the these three episodes we're talking about today all play into each other and filter through. So, but I gave this three and a half out of five monthly female cycles. Nice. So you could be more tied with the moon. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it a four point two out of five teabacks. I mean, I think this is a great episode. I think we're hitting the pinnacle of some office humor here. You know, we've got the guys doing their thing. We've got the ladies doing their thing. We've got Michael being way over the line across the board. Um, we got to, we get to cruise around Scranton in a way that we don't normally yeah. get to. Get to see Steam Town. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's a big one. So 4.2 out of 5 T-backs because whatever the hell a T-back is. Yeah, that's one of them I heard yeah i mean if i had to speculate it's got to be some type of underpants that just has a t in the back like maybe it's a it's a i don't know why it would be different than a thong but uh 
I don't know, but he knew. Oh, and I guess just just for because I think it should be said, Michael does clarify that he, you know, some men are animals. You know, they want women to wear lacy things and bras and high heels and all that. But he he's a sophisticated guy, and he thinks women look best when they're just naked. Completely <laughs> and totally naked. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So that's women's appreciation, and we continue on to beach games. Uh, this is episode twenty. Well, so I have it here as episode twenty-two. Is that right? I do. I have it written down as twenty-two, but according to oh, I think it. I think the oh, were they aired? The numbers on Netflix are different than these because of the double episodes, like Benny Hanna Christmas I and see. stuff. I think that's why. Why they're off, but on Netflix it's a episode twenty. Gotcha. The production code is O three O two two. Right. Um, it was written by Jennifer Salata and Greg Daniels, and it was directed by Harold Ramis. Yep. Big big crew right here. Yeah. Here. Those are some office all stars. Um, so, so yeah. There's kind of a cold open. So Michael. About 40 times a year, Michael apparently gets very sick, and Dwight is very worried Yeah, about it all the time. And then David Wallace calls to uh, ask Michael to interview for this corporate job. Right. And so this is something I do have to wonder about. Uh, because, you know, the deposition, it made it seem as though he never had a chance. Right. right. But the town, the the pool of people coming in to interview was big enough that they wouldn't have had to interview him for any kind of like diversity or anything like that, you know. Right. So unless it was just a every branch manager is getting the job type thing. Um, yeah, I mean, like, because you got to wonder who is still in play as a branch manager at this point, right? So Stanford's closed. So Josh is out. Um, we've got Albany. We know is still a thing. Utica apparently is a thing. But as far as I know, we've never met anybody from Utica until Karen eventually becomes regional manager there. Right. There's a Buffalo branch. Um, mm-hmm. But really the big thing, and it's, it's kind of talked about in the next episode where Michael's actually having his interview, is where he merged two branches, still made a profit, didn't lose anything. You know, and of course we could largely speculate that's because everybody left or got fired, so that's a lot of salary you don't have to account for. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it also makes again. Uh, we've we talked about this a bit, to where you know is just how bloated is Dunder Mifflin because it seems like they have two branches when they just definitely don't need one. You right. Know? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's another one of those things where like. They're just writing shit into the show. I don't know if it's based on anything, if there's anything realistic that we could actually glean from it. But, uh, yeah, there definitely seems to be a lot of overhead. But, yeah, I'd agree with you, too. I think Michael would be a shoe-in, and had the events not had happened, I think he probably would have gotten that job. But we can talk about the next episode. Right. Um, right, but so he, he also feels very firm that he's going to get the job. So he organizes uh, – 
So beach day seems to be something that they always do, right? The way everybody talks about it, it sounds like, oh, it's beach day. Like it's not like a random thing that has happened, but it's something that maybe they do once a year. But this one is different in that it is the beach games, right? Am I reading that wrong? Um, Because there's a couple things where like they present it as if it always happens. But we only ever see it one time, you know? Yeah. So I'm wondering if this is one of those things where, like, oh, we only ever see Beach Day once. Right. Uh, maybe. Maybe. And poor Tobe, you know, <laughs> he doesn't get to go to Beach Day, which sucks. But he just also stays at the office. Like, everybody leaves, and he just stays put. Well, that's the thing. If me, I would have left. I would have left, too. Not for nothing, but Michael doesn't know what the hell's going on over there. <laughs> if you didn't answer a phone or check an email, Michael wouldn't have even realized it, you know? Well, I mean, exp- and granted, they made of... Um, unless they forwarded the phones to his desk, he's not even going to hear it back in the end. That's right. Which, clearly, he was still sitting. Because he had to walk all the way back up front during this one cutaway where he put uh, an envelope inside of, like, their mail bin and was clearly walking right. back to the annex, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, poor Toby. I feel bad for her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's one of those weird it's... characters where sometimes he gets really unfair treatment and other times he acts exactly how someone would act that gets as much hatred as they do. Like his weird knee touching thing with Pam. Uh, sometimes, you know, his weird interactions with Jim and Pam when uh, they're trying to sign the love document. Uh, sometimes Toby's just a big weirdo creep. <laughs> and Michael's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, I can I can see that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like Toby's writing is inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird because Paul Everstein is such a big writer on the yeah. show. Maybe it's sort of one of those things where like they just make him be whatever they need him to right, be, right. so to speak. So maybe that's something. I yeah, but it, it is odd at best. Yes. Faux show. So we're going to Beach Day. Toby's got to stay behind. We find out Pam's wearing a two-piece. That's great doesn't really come up we never get to see no one goes swimming you know i I get karen you could say does because jim tricks her into go walking into the lake but yeah i kind of wondered about that like maybe they did go swimming because or because there's there's definitely some time between uh like the hot dog eating contest and the firewalk because you know like when he when he says the stuff about the fire it's that's day correct outside, yeah. but when it's time for the the walk it's night so maybe there's some you know just some chilling actual chilling and not like actual you know beach games and shit. yeah because it seems like because they light a whole stack of wood on fire what it seems like is they're waiting for it to burn down enough so that it is the, all the ash and jazz right. like that you're right so there's some time um but it's definitely not clear i don't know whatever and so Michael enlists Pam to judge people, take notes, not necessarily on their hotness, right. but but some on their hotness, but to to write down their un- indescribable qualities. That's right. So 
I don't, I don't know what Michael was hoping to get out of this. Like, was he, like, hoping for, like, just be able to read it back and remember things? Like, what's the point of having this report? Yeah, I mean, and then as we as we continue on, too, we find out that, like, he's not even using some type of universal point system, right? It's right. that thumbs up. There's stars. Or gold yeah, star. Yeah, so. Ten points. That's, it's very odd, so I don't really know if he had a game plan coming into it. Uh, and we we do get one of the great, the great Kevin quotes of all time. I just I just want to lie on the beach and eat hot dogs all day. That's all I ever want to do. Yep. Man after my own heart. So we're we're going. We are on the bus, and Michael decides to reveal to everybody what the real goal is for the day, or rather, not really the goal, uh, but he does describe that there's going to be a mandatory fun activities at the beach um stanley tries to get sassy michael says sit in the back of the bus <laughs> or wherever you want that's great um yeah and then, i mean then they pretty much start right away they go they get their spots on the beach yeah, and like, they start, he's like all right sit down yeah. so they separate into four teams right we've got uh, uh team right. gryffindor that are picked at random right that's right. Uh, yeah, we got Team Gryffindor, uh, which is Dwight, Ryan, uh, Meredith. I think. Meredith, yeah, that would make sense. Um, and then we also have uh, the blue team, which is Stanley. Um, I don't know who else is on his team. Probably Creed, because Creed's nowhere to be found. Um, and then we also have... Team America, oh Team USA or Team America, something like that, which is Team USA, Andy's team uh, for Andy's team, and then um, Team Voldemort for Jim, for Jim and Kim's yeah. Team. Uh, the first contest is the blindfolded egg race. Mm-hmm. I mean, so and some of these we could just skip through, but uh, we got the blindfolded egg race where nobody wins because everybody drops their eggs either from Dwight being overbearing, from Jim not giving a darn, Stanley not giving a darn. And Andy just not being that great a team leader, right? Um, the next up, no, no, actually he was doing okay, but Kelly got freaked out that she was near the big rock when she was nowhere near the big rock. He's like, "No, you're okay, you're okay," and she like freaked out. He's like, "Oh, but now we're disqualified." That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't know. They're just not they're not great. <laughs> no one really performs well. Obviously Jim's having fun, which is what's important, I suppose. Um, Pam is not allowed to be on anybody's team because she is taking these awesome notes. Right. Poor Pam. Yeah. It's always poor Pam though, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, there's the hot dog eating contest and Michael's like, I need you to heat up these hot dogs. It's like hundreds of hot dogs, right? Yeah, and my thing is like I mean, I, I love hot dogs. I'm a huge hot dog guy. But there is nothing worse than a cold hot dog. Like that's just ew. You know what? I think there are worse things. I think being a straight dude looking at an actual penis would be worse. <laughs> and then having to put it in your mouth would be worse. Uh no, as as a youth I've eaten cold hot dogs. I mean they're already cooked. 
still, they're slimy. Cool. Yeah, I'll give you that. I have this this I still have this terrible college habit where I prefer cooked cold food. So, you know, give me a pizza, pizza, great. But cold room temperature pizza for breakfast, amazing, right? Fry up a bunch of hot dogs for dinner the night before, awesome. Wake up in the morning, cold hot dog with that weird gelatinous frozen grease on the side. And let me tell you, my girlfriend may leave me after she listens to this. But that is great. Oh, God, I <laughs> I mean, I was as poor as they were in college, but man, I, I still couldn't do that. I like I had to go nuke it again. Like I'd still eat pizza for breakfast, but I had to like warm it up. All right, all right. All right. To each his own. Um, yeah, so there's a butt ton of hot dogs. And during the hot dog eating contest, we find out Michael's actual intention, which is to find a successor for him at the Scranton branch. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy takes it seriously. Stanley takes it seriously. I mean, everybody but Jim takes it seriously. And Jim uses this as an opportunity to learn information, right? Right. Because he finds out about this potential position at corporate. And, you know, it's very similar to him leaving at the end of season two, actually. So do you think Wallace called them or do you think they called Wallace? I think they called Wallace. Yeah. And I I think they say, hey, we heard about this position. Um, We just want you to know that we're interested. And obviously, I guess he didn't think it was a bad idea because he's like, yeah, come on down. Right. But still, it was just one of those interesting things. Right. And also, well, maybe it's something they did um, sort of behind the scenes. But for a publicly traded company like this, there's no way that they can like they would have actually had to have applied for the job. Some, you know, in some physical form. Online, paper, application, whatever. Um, that's true. They would have had to submit something, right? Right. And especially because it's a publicly traded company and there's all sorts of – and it's big enough. And there's all sorts of crazy rules about how, like, how your HR has to work depending on how big you are. Well, when is the, um, when is the actual interview supposedly? It's a week from that whatever day that was. So theoretically they've got time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like I said, it could easily be something in the background. Um, yeah, I don't really know how long Karen's been at the job. Um, it's never quite clear, I think. She is clearly established at Stanford. Um, right. And obviously Jim had a high enough position at the at Stanford, like she was in, he was a number two. So I guess I could see that's why he's being considered as well. I don't really know Karen's credentials, but I guess they're clearly – they're going in for like we need like a new person, right? Like right. new ideas, new blood, which is why ultimately whoever gets it ends up getting it because they're really looking for like a a young visionary kind of thing, right? Right. I mean it's never made out that Karen is a bad salesperson. Right. It seems like she's pretty good and, she, you know, she – leaves her position becomes you know manager of utica next season so right yeah obviously talented there yeah, that's a good point um one thing we, we, we would be remiss for not talking about is the sumo wrestling yes so that's happening uh it's like stanley bowls over jim and he's like I've never seen that look in a man's eyes. Right. I thought it was going to die on beach day. Yeah, it's great. Um, 
you know, and Stanley also has a, an investment in getting this actual possession too, because well, was it? He'll be damned if he has to work for somebody else in this office aside from himself. Because mm, he'd rather work for a upturned mop with a bucket for a head. Or something that's right. Like that. I mean, Stanley's been there for a while. I think he knew Ed Truck. Right. No, Stanley definitely been there for a long. Yeah. So you know, it, it makes sense that he would want the position over someone else. Right, and then you know, well, because you know, he knew Michael. He probably hated Michael because Michael and Todd were probably way too spastic for him. Right. And then Michael gets the job maybe over him. I don't know. Right. Right. Uh, right. So maybe there's some like uh, burn bridges earlier on, right, where he's kind of salty already. Right. Um, and we we get that in the um, – oh, God. I don't remember the episode, but like – the did I stutter episode yeah. where, you know, he's like, he does lays it out. Like, I don't like you. Right. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, it's tough. And then Andy, I don't know why or what he was doing. Decides to walk over the edge of the lake in his sumo suit <laughs> and falls in. Like, it looked like he was like trying to throw something in the water. Well, it looked like um, the bandana that was used during the egg game. And I think he was using it as a symbol of his team or some nonsense like that. And right, he wanted to dispose of it in the lake kind of symbolically, um, but still wearing the sumo suit, he lost his balance and falls in. I mean, not for nothing, and I'm not a, I'm not a very strong swimmer, but there's like a thousand things I think he could have done to not float off into the, <laughs> into the lake wall and pop back that way. Oh, yeah. I mean, he easily could have just, like, scooched his arms. I mean, this seems like the arms are pretty, fairly free. Yeah, instead of rocking back and forth, kicking his feet up at the end like he was doing. Yeah, Andy's not the sharpest tool in the show. No, he is not. Um, Dwight and Angela form their weird romance alliance, right, where Angela purposefully lets Andy... Drift out to the lake. I mean, honestly, too, not for nothing, but considering how much trouble he did have, that's super dangerous. He could have died out there. Yeah. yeah. So she could have been complicit in murder or homicide or manslaughter, or whichever one of those is willfully allowing someone to die without <laughs> causing it directly. Like, like he ends up in these reeds <laughs> at night. <laughs> It's someone I don't know who it was. We don't know who it was, but it's like a flashlight or something like turns on Andy. It's like help, help! Uh, you know I'm with Dungeon Mifflin, and it just turns away, and he walks. Away. Yeah, yeah. I like to think. Part of me always thought it was like a car, maybe that like drove up. They're like, hey, what is that? And they see it kind of not move enough, and they just drive away. Um. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So we got Andy floating out to sea. Sumo wrestling game's done. Pretty much everybody's tied because Michael's been using nonsensical point systems. Um, so he reveals the firewalk. Right. According to Mythbusters, Jacob, the best way to walk across hot coals like that is slowly. Mm-hmm. Apparently the coals get covered in their own ash and stuff, which actually makes them a lot cooler on the outside. So if you run, you actually disrupt all that ash and burn your own feet. Okay. So Pam's uh, form, technically inappropriate. <clears throat> but I guess it makes sense considering how bad her feet burn later, she says. 
Right. And uh, it's kind of, kind of funny if you look, she's actually wearing like like a sock or something. Like, yeah. You know, obviously, they're not going to have Tina Fisher burn herself. Yeah. <laughs> what what it was, again, thank you, director's commentary, apparently was they just dug out a bunch of the uh, the sand underneath and put in a big light box with orange fluorescent lights underneath it to give it that effect. And then they cover it with, you know, regular old rocks and dirt or whatever. It kind of becomes clearer when Dwight's, like, crawling around on it, kind of shifting stuff around. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so. But, yeah, so I imagine they gave her some type of foot protection so she doesn't stab herself with a jagged rock. So would would you have done the fart walk? Oh, yeah. I think I would have been in Pam's boat. I think I would have been someone who was not being looked at for the position at all. <laughs> and they would have said, no, 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 get out of here. Uh, but I would have totally wanted to do it because I think they're mad expensive too. I mean, he says it's like 75 bucks, but how often do you come across no, a fire? There's no way that much wood only costs 75 Yeah, that's a good point too. <laughs> What's fucking expensive? <laughs> um, yeah, I never thought it was actual wood. I mean, um, according to Jackass 3.5, they have a bit where Steve-O is trying to walk across some type of wooden plank over burning coals, and they actually use coals there. So I feel like you probably could do it with just regular coals. Not that coals are cheap either, but, you know. Right. I think the concept of waiting hours for a huge pile of logs to burn down into a perfectly flat, fiery cinder thing is kind of ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, i totally do it. I don't know if I would or not. I really don't like being burned, but I I would consider it. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, especially if I didn't have to pay anything. Mm-hmm. If I had to drop like 30 bucks on it myself to burn my own feet, I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's not <laughs> worth it. But if they're just like, everybody walk across, I'm like, oh, totally. But then like, you know, Dwight just starts like walking around in the middle and falls and burns himself all over. Like he should have gone to the hospital. Oh yeah. I mean, he was wearing, no, he wasn't wearing enough. Cause I realized he's wearing the jacket after the fact. Yeah. He did not have enough layers to uh, protect himself. I mean, not for nothing. Even if he didn't get third degree burns, like visually he would have had gross ass pussy welts and stuff like that. Like he would have looked terrible for a long time. Yeah. And you know, they, they 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 give the impression that they can smell his flesh. Burning. Yeah, it's nasty. <laughs> um, so they come back. Michael says he wasted seventy five dollars, <throat> and they do a lightning round where each team leader is supposed to give a speech, uh, kind of indicating why they deserve the job. You know, the Bob Hope or Bob Amanda Bynes factor. Yeah. Um, so. Jim doesn't want to do it. Openly says that he's going to apply for the job. Um, Stanley is in the bus. He's given up at this point. Uh, he was trying so hard. He's like, nope, can't yeah. do it. I'm going to go sit in the bus. <laughs> and then uh, and Andy is still at sea, so to speak, which is okay because he's, he's a boat nut. He probably loved it out there. <laughs> so, well, actually, here's here's a question. So did – Stanley come back from the bus because he he mentions hearing Pam's speech in the next episode. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't recall him seeing it or seeing him there rather, but it could be just one of those like retcon writer things. Right. 
but yeah, yeah like because uh, she in the in the job he says something about like I've never heard you talk so much or something. Like that. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm trying to look up a picture of that scene specifically because another question I've got about this whole thing too is like the end of the episode is actually um, them driving in the bus again, but it's daytime. So is that part of them singing on their way there, or did they spend the night? At the beach, probably not, right? That's ridiculous. I assumed it was sort of a non-linear because they do some of that non-linear stuff every once in a while on this. So. Yeah. According to this Getty image picture, um, I see Karen, Jim, Phyllis, Kelly, Oscar, Meredith, Michael, Creed, Dwight. I guess that's Ryan, but we know Kevin's there, and he's not in this picture. Hmm. Okay, I will continue to search, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to help us out on the Reddit. Yeah, let us know. <laughs> or email us or something. But, um, yeah, so Dwight tries to tell this joke, the, aristic, the aristocrats. Um, are you familiar with the joke, Jacob? Uh, no. So, so the shtick is, well, so he, the, the funny part about it, and maybe it's too specific, but he ruins the joke immediately by saying the aristocrats, which is supposed to be the punchline. And it's one of those jokes where you're just supposed to be filthy. And that's the whole joke. You say a family walks into a talent agency and then you describe something terrible. You know, you can use, you know, body fluids. You could use sexual taboos. You could use violence. You could use gore, whatever it is you want to do. And that's supposed to be the joke part. And then you say at the end, he goes, what's your act called? And he goes, the aristocrats, because the aristocrats are just like a fancy, you know, you know, high class kind of thing. So it's supposed to be ironic that their terrible, obscene act is called the aristocrats. But Dwight stands up and he says, the aristocrats. And then he goes on to describe the joke by not actually saying the filthy words, but saying that they are filthy things. Something really, yeah. really raunchy. Um, for, for those of you at home, there is a, uh, a pretty good documentary about this joke specifically, so you should check it out. Anyways, um, so that, that's his bit, and Michael goes, very funny. And obviously he doesn't think it's funny, but it was the only submission to this whole conversational circle, right. so he doesn't really have a lot to go off of. And while this is all happening, Pam does the coal walk. Mm-hmm. And then delivers her speech about how she really, like, no one came to her art show. And that really hurt her feelings, and she really misses having fun with Jim. Not everybody else, just Jim. Right. <laughs> you know, and about how she was, uh, they used to be best friends, and, like, which I love Pam doing this. Right. But it would be a really weird thing to watch. Like, it's a great scene. Like, the scene itself is fantastic and done. But I'm just thinking, like, in real life, it'd be like, okay. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, realistically, too, it's like, I mean, I guess she's worked there for a long time, right? I mean, at at least three years at this point. But we assume more because she wasn't new at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, but that's just a weird conversation to have in front of everybody for sure. And honestly, what, 75% of that chat is directed specifically at Jim. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there, it's, it's, it's for Jim. Yeah, pretty that's much. right. Um, but Michael says we are still looking for someone with a 
sales background. Damn, that was awesome. We're still looking for someone with a background in sales. Um, I mean, that's about the end of the episode, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, then we we have a nice little ending where everybody's singing the Flintstone song, which I assume is actually just from the beginning of the episode. Right, but it's also they definitely don't know the words, mm-hmm. and so they're they're all just kind of like da 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 da. da. That's right. <laughs> and then Michael screams Wilma at the end. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the Firewalk episode here on my laptop. I do not see a Stanley. So they must have just retconned it. Okay. Now we know. Um, <clears throat> all right. So what are you going to give this one? Oh, boy. You know, it's another classic. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to go for a twofer. And I'm going to give it another 4.2 out of five sl- gullets. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. This is another classic. It's really good. Um I gave us a four out of five medium rare feet. Nice. Which is actually not spoken in this episode. No. <laughs> it's in the next one. I didn't realize that when, when I When you were done, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh well, that's good enough. Um Okay, and then our final episode of the season, the job. And of our podcast. That is correct. Uh it is on the uh, the office wikia, it is considered episode twenty four twenty five with pre- production code 03230324. Written by Paul Lieberstein and Michael Shore, and it was directed by Ken Quapis. Okay, so is this the like? Is this the biggest episode? It's easily the biggest episode up to this point in the show. Uh-huh. But is this the biggest episode? In the office period. Honestly, I think so. I think Jim proposing to Pam is fine. I think the announcement of Pam's first pregnancy is fine. I think, you know, yeah, I, you know, Andy proposing to Angela, the you know, the duel between Andy and Dwight, you know, all the things with Michael, even Michael. Uh, proposing to Holly and announcing he's leaving. I mean, I think at its core, the show is about Jim and Pam. And this is like the pinnacle of that storyline. Right. This is, I mean, granted, I'm really glad they didn't make him like break up ever. But, you know, at this point they knew they were, you know, at this, at the end of this episode, you knew they were going to be together. Right. Forever. And aside from like, parts of episodes moving forward um, and then some questionable things they do toward the end of the series. I mean, Jim and Pam are solid. I think it's why a lot of these other relationships start to take a more center staged role, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Michael and Holly's big. um, Andy and Aaron. Dwight and Angela. um, You know, these things take a bigger role in the show's arc, I think, moving forward because Jim and Pam are, like, happy. Yeah, they they can take it back to you. And we can't forget, you know, Stanley and all of his lovers. So, you know, don't want to torture him. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's what I feel like. And that's why, personally, I mean, I think season three is the best. I think 
if you compare it to the way the original Office, um, the UK version of the Office ends, I mean, it ends differently, but essentially they're Jim and Pam, uh, Tim and Dawn. They get together at the end during the second special, right? Which is like a final special that they did after the first two series of the show. And um, that's how that show ends, is them getting together. So we don't really see them get married and have kids and yada yada, whatever. So I think if the show got canceled after this episode, I'd be great with that. That's how I feel. It's tough. Because there's still six seasons late, right? There's six seasons after this. Um, <laughs> but um, you can't really keep doing the will they, won't they. You know, like this happened at the exact right time, I think, in context with what had happened. Yeah, yeah. They, they couldn't have gone. I think you know, bringing in Karen was a good move because you did kind of get that juxtaposition of the two women. And I wouldn't even say it's more of a Karen versus Pam in terms of them as individuals, but sort of that archetype of person that jim should be with kind of thing right and also you know i'm really happy that um rashia jones left the show and went to parks and rec yeah because i you know karen's an okay character but i really do like um oh what's her name in parks and And, blanking and perkins thinking amy i'm like no that's not right yeah and perkins so i'm glad they they you know she was only there because i think it would have been hard to keep her going into the future right i think so too um and Anne's a really great character like karen feels like she was starting to wear out her welcome you know right um but i feel like ann perkins uh is just a better fit for rashida jones you know right well, and I think part of it, the, the wearing out the welcome, is that um, Karen is be- becomes, and we see it in this episode, more and more antagonistic towards Pam. Yep. You know, so she kind of comes off as a jerk when, you know what, I would, <laughs> I have no problem with her being antagonistic towards Pam because... You know, she can see she can see what everyone else can see that there's an issue there with uh, that's right with what's going on with them and that it's hurting her relationship with Jim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and Karen says it too in this episode when they're actually in the city, but they're they're at a point in their relationship where Jim has to basically cut ties with Pam if he wants to continue his relationship with her. Right. Um, you know, it's yeah. He's got a. How she put it? There, there's, there's one too many uh, people in screen. Kevin. <laughs> Kevin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, honestly, and generally, I think uh, it's a, it's a, uh, what's that word? Controversial thing when a significant other tries to dictate who you can spend your time with. But this is a, this is the case where you do that <laughs> because the person right. you're saying has clearly said they are into that person, they want to date that person. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so you have to you know you have to do that thing that Karen does, which is that that call where if uh, Jim moves to the city, she'll move with him. You know, right? But she wants to make sure that if she's moving, that 
there's there's a real thing there. That's right. Yep. Like I, I feel fine with how does does Karen get kind of bitchy about it? Sure, but I don't have a real problem with it because I mean Jim needed to be slapped up against the side of the head anyway because he was you know just kind of dicking around and not not treating her as well as he should have been. Yeah, I mean. Karen says it right in that um, traveling salesman episode, I think it is. But, um, yeah, she moved, right? She left the state. It wasn't just for a job, but it was for him, too. Right. Um, you know, she had said that she might look for another job where she lived, and it was Jim that convinced her to think about Scranton instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so Karen's made a lot of life changes for Jim. So she's like... You know, she's putting a lot of eggs in this basket. So if Jim's messing about, it's no bueno. Right. So, and you know, like, uh, yeah. Oh, I just, <laughs> sorry. I had this, I had this grand thought and it's, you know, it's just one of those things where like, I wouldn't say never do what Karen did, but I mean, that's, it takes a lot out of somebody to do that for somebody yeah especially if if they don't really you know if it's not true like real big commitment right right okay so let's dive in so we get the cold open to where michael forgets what day it is (laughs) it shows up early um to his his interview and so he's like uh, he's talking about how like he's a shoe in because everyone else, all the other branch managers are morons. Right. As he's sitting there like wrong day. Yeah. And his lies are terrible. He's like, Oh, I was passing by, but he's not cause he's three hours away. Uh, he was going to catch a show in the middle of a work day. Um, but he plays it off. And I think David is kind of used to Michael's antics at this point. So he's able to ask a couple of sassy questions. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Michael ends up recommending Dwight for the job. Right. Right. But, you know, he starts becoming the manager, but is it one, can, it seems like there would be an additional vetting process after the recommendation that Dwight just wouldn't have gotten the job. Right. Like, similarly, whatever you were discussing about how those people have to apply and all that jazz before they can actually be offered that job would be similar to any replacement in screen. Right. And so that's something like, cause he, cause he asked for in beach games, he asked for Michael's recommendation, not who, you know, at who should replace him, not pick the person to replace you. That's right. Yes. So you would think there'd be some interview, like additional interviews, on instead of what ha- essentially happened. Right. Yeah. Um. And again, there was a you know that good interaction between Karen and Pam in like the break room kitchen area, and she's like, "Oh no, I'm not sorry. I said what I said." <laughs> I just was sorry if, you know, it made you feel weird. And Karen's like, Pam's kind of a bitch. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, 
you know, and and not to uh, side with Pam the whole time. I don't think Karen is being totally wrong either. Pam doesn't have to be no. so sassy about it, you know. Yeah, and I know. Like Pam's just trying to like make sure everything's cool, but that's probably just one of those things that you leave alone. <laughs> right. That's right. Like just 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 understand, you're not going to be friends with this woman ever again after what you did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there is no friendship happening now. Like all that goodwill from Benny Hanna Christmas gone. Right. You know, and Pam had to do what she had to do. There's no fault in her for that. But yeah, that there, oh, there's a there's yeah. a wall now that you cannot get past. Right, and you know, there, we're gonna we'll, we'll get more to that later too, because it's gonna be a big conversation piece I want to talk about. But like. Like there, there, there's a difference between doing the right thing and doing it the right way. Right. And a lot of times I feel like, especially with Pam, she does the right thing a lot. She just kind of screws up the execution. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, so back in Scranton, Michael's there. He's kind of prepping for his last day or, you know, uh, prepping for the meeting or what have you. Uh, and Jan shows up kind of, uh, Pleading is not the right word, but she comes back to propose them getting back together, kind of right. sharing her piece about how she's changed her ways and she went on vacation and she did some like self analyzation stuff. Which again, like the way she was talking, like again, I, I felt like it was a good move on her part. Right. You know, so it's just like, I, I feel like she was genuine, like, and she just, I feel like maybe there was still a little bit of hope for her, sure. <laughs> but then there wasn't. Yeah. Cause then she, she basically slam dunks the whole thing by removing her jean jacket to expose some very fake boobs. <laughs> so I was, cause I was curious. Okay. Uh, so the normal, Breast augmentation recovery is three to six weeks, depending on, uh, you know, different bodies, different amounts, sizes, et cetera, et cetera. So when she freaks out in the car, she's like, because apparently it's, you know, we, we learned it's only been two weeks since the since uh, women's appreciation. Has it only been two weeks? Yeah, he said, uh, my, Michael, when he says they get back together, is like, two weeks ago, I was in the worst relationship of my life, and I'm in the best relationship of my life I with see. the same woman. Right. So we figure that out. So when she's freaking out later in the episode about being on these, like, really heavy painkillers, right. that's actually probably pretty pretty right timing to still be on some, some hefty painkillers. They're probably all swollen though, right? Right, and that's why like there's there's probably no way that like he could actually, you know, as he told uh Hunter that he, there's probably no way he could actually squeeze them as he told <laughs> Hunter he wanted to do. Yeah, whatever that means. Whatever that cryptic message means. <laughs> she'll she'll know what it means. Like, no, Michael, we all know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and I mean uh, Michael ends up taking her back. 
Um, right. <laughs> I, I forget the exact phrasing. Maybe you had written it down, but something like uh, this is the exact opposite of shallow. This is yeah. something. Uh, yeah. But, um, and he also says something to Pam that's really great. It's something like, uh, your advice was good, but hers was bigger. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. They're back together. Um, you know, I think uh, Laura Harding is a pretty lady. You know, I don't know if she, you know, I, I, is that Jan? that's Jan. That's the actress's name. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the boob job works well on her per se but michael obviously is a weird guy and clearly he's got a boob thing so well did the actress no actually so they it was just all fake padding yeah okay i was wondering about that yeah some fancy push-up bra some padding and then some fancy makeup too to create the contour that's correct (laughs) yeah (laughs) god i don't know how i know random shit uh uh, but yeah, so he ends up he ends up going back with Jan despite everybody saying not to do it. And we didn't say it, but he uh, brings all the ladies into the conference room literally five feet away from where he's having this Jan conversation. Uh, <laughs> You'll probably hear it through the wall. That's right, yeah. Um, so she leaves. Michael is now dating Jan again. And then uh, we start to prepare for the actual interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Karen and Jim are going and Karen has the idea to try to leave early kind of spend the evening in the city before the day you know hold on now that I'm thinking about this a bit more so that Karen and Pam interaction was a week after beach games so it's had time to like stew for a while yeah yeah right and presumably they just were not in the same break room until we see them right or just you know maybe they were they just didn't talk to each other for a while yeah. and Pam's Pam's just like winding <clears throat> called attention or something yeah yeah that's fair too um yeah no it's definitely sitting there and I think Karen is the one to like I I've said it before on the show but I think Karen is definitely the more she's the meaner one of the two you know. So, uh, yeah, so so the amount of time that it's let sit or whatever, I think that's why Karen can come up to the Pam's kind of a bitch line because Karen is more of a no-nonsense kind of lady, you know? Well, right, and I would say that Karen is much more driven, self-assured, you know, yeah. than Pam is. Right, that's true, too. You know. This is also the episode where we learn about creed thoughts. Yeah, um, so if anybody wants to visit that website... <laughs> Uh, do I have it here? www.creedthoughts.gov.www slash creedthoughts. So there you go. If you ever want to visit it. Um, someone did type out the blog that Creed is seen writing here. So it says, Creed Thoughts. Hey, yo, everyone out there in cyber world, spelt with an S. It's old Creed Bratton coming at you again. Here from my perch as a quality assurance manager at Dunder Mifflin Paper. Just a few observations on the world around me. What do you guys think is the best kind of car? To me, you can't, with a comma instead of an apostrophe, you can't beat motorcycles. They're small and dangerous. I got into a, and then that's where the scene ends. (laughs) Um, If I recall, 
there was actually a Creed Thoughts website that was up and running as the show was going on that was like, you know, done by some office PR folks. And it had like three or four blog entries uh, about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Creed. I love Creed. Yeah. Like, I, and I know he's not really like, he's just an, like, an explosive character. Like he's just a character that's just around to do crazy shit you know right. that's kind of that's fun like he's got no other purpose than to be crazy yeah um well you know so creed brett like a lot of people on the show their first name is the same but creed Branton is actually creed Branton, and a lot of his actual history is fed into this character's history like he really was a guitar player in the grassroots or whatever right. um so you wonder if they're really just playing up his bluegrass touring music rock and roll days into this character where he's just this caricature of himself had he gone off the deep end you know well right and i mean i talked about this before but i listened to this interview with him and he's talking about how his sort of idea for his character was that he just never quit doing hallucinogenics right in the six season 70s and then, like, did too much one day and woke up in Scranton after being on a bus, like, for, like, three days. <laughs> and then he just picks up from there. Yeah, yeah that's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, so Jim and Pam are trying to go to the city early, spend the spend the night in the city. Um, well, it was Karen's idea to go early. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can definitely tell that she's, like, trying to get him away from her. Right, yeah, that that's true too. But I do think she does want to spend some time there because she's got friends there, and we find out the following day she actually has like a lunch date with some of them. Yeah, I mean, if you, could, I mean, especially if you get out early enough to like, you know, like they did, they had enough time to like do some shit, you know, in New York City. I definitely would have done it too. Yeah, because what are they like three hours away? Right? Is that what Michael says in the beginning yeah, of this episode? Hours, yeah. yeah. Um. So they get to the city, and apparently Jim doesn't go to the city often. Uh, because his suggestion for sightseeing is the UN, right? Uh, apparently, apparently, he's only been once. On yeah, in his eighth grade field trip. Um, so they go. Michael leaves at the end of the day. Uh, he plays that uh, thank you song on a weird little tape recorder. Walks out of the office, and then Dwight Schrute, regional manager, kicks in. Immediately. Immediately. Turns off that thing. He puts up a signing sheet for a potential number two, of which Andy's the only person to sign up. Um, and he starts printing shrew bucks. We, well, and we, we, there's a couple things we also learn here. That Michael sold his condo on eBay for 80% of what he paid for it. Terrible. Sold in record time. <laughs> That's right. And there's this great scene where before the big announcement is made that uh you know dwight's going to be the new regional manager that he goes uh, dwight goes up to angel's like hey do you want to spend the night with the uh regional manager of dunder mifflin she's like no dwight i don't care that's how they consolidated power in each row that's right yeah <laughs> and then kelly or not uh, angela apparently has designs on firing kelly kapoor yeah well, she, we do find out that she hates Kelly and Ryan most of all in the office, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff. I mean, obviously Dwight's been playing this for a long time, you know, right. and obviously he's proposed that to Angela a couple times. But um, yeah, what do you think about the Shroot Bucks? I'm looking at a picture of it on the bottom. It says motivational tool. <laughs> Uh, you know, um, you know, if I could earn shroot bucks for an extra, you know, day of vacation, I'd do it. Right, that's fair. Even even at the ridiculous requirements um, or volume that you need. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, but still, I mean, you know, some some companies do those kind of motivational things where, you know. I know a company, the company I work for, the, like, one thing they do, it's not really shroot bucks, but it's, uh, like, if you've done really well, they'll give you, like, a special parking spot. Okay. There's, like, there's, like, 200 of them, 300 of them at the building, and, like, they're the, the closest spots to the door. Yeah. So you can, you know, so you get a really nice parking spot for, like, two weeks. I mean, that's definitely worth it, especially on the East Coast where we've got different types of seasons right Right. yeah oh yes well i work at a my building i work at it's really big there's like 2200 people in it right and from where i normally have to park to my desk is a half a mile walk i see that's a long so it's a long haul granted like a third of that's indoors but still having to walk a quarter mile in a yeah in a pennsylvania winter is can be pretty daunting yeah that's crazy um right do, 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 do. so i mean i guess we can we can hang out in scranton for a bit we have another meeting with between uh well not another but we have a meeting with dwight and pam where he offers her a position uh secret assistant to the regional manager. that's right he will retain the assistant regional manager position because he needs someone he can trust <laughs> um andy will be the number two and does not get a title because at this point we've had an Andy uh, interview that we can go back over. But, um, yeah, and then Pam, because of her initiative at the firewalk, I mean, she's basically just going to do what she does in the following meeting, but she's just going to bully people around to do what Dwight wants uh, with no title and no extra pay. Right, Which, and I love it because she just gets into it. She's like, well, I got nothing else to do. That's right. <laughs> and apparently she learned from Jim to always say, absolutely, I do, when proposed to form some type of secret alliance or agreement. That's that's another line like me and my wife will use quite a bit. We'll like, absolutely, I do. Yeah. It's <laughs> a good one. Um, Andy, so Andy interviews for the number two position. Mm-hmm. Keeps talking about Cornell. Makes sense. It's pretty much the only thing Andy's got going for him. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, he gets it. That's it. He was a director of sales and we never quite figured out what the hell that was, but he's got a bit of that. Um, he's the only one who applied for the damn job. So he becomes Dwight's number two and they're never on the same page. I mean, the Dwight Andy combo, as funny as it is, is not efficient. That is not the word I would ever describe it as. (laughs) Um, so they decide to do two things. They cancel all ethical uh, ethnic meetings, and instead form and celebrations. That's correct, and instead form uh, a lecture series about how paper is made. Um, you know, I'm not gonna lie to you. Like, 
I probably would have enjoyed that lecture series. <laughs> yeah, I think that might have been interesting. Um, he seemed pretty knowledgeable about the whole damn thing. <laughs> um, and also, to the the time for meetings are no longer five minutes, ten minutes. It is ten seconds right. <laughs> with an immediate countdown. Um, and Pam just looks so excited. She's like, oh, this ought to be good. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, man, we are really doing this. Um but we can also tell that, like, you know, Dwight's just not ready yet. That's right. Like, and that's one thing I do like about because he gets put into that re, that manager position four or five times throughout the show before it finally sticks. Yeah. But you can tell, like, every time he's getting closer to actually being ready. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so during the meeting, it kind of goes off the rails. Someone is offered shrewd bucks at Stanley. Uh, he does not want them. Um, he offers up his Stanley Nichols. Um, but Pam is there and she reels in the meeting. She says, everybody. Yeah, everyone's like trying to like, like, come on, listen to what. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she does her job very well in that moment. Um, and again, Andy's not on the same page cause he's trying to dismiss people or whatever. Right. Uh, they go and they paint the regional manager office all black. So it has to strike fear into people who, uh, start the meeting with them. Right. Um, yeah, so it's kind of nuts. I mean, again, later on when Dwight again becomes in charge of the the office, similarly things kind of go off the rails and he makes a lot of big changes like that. But um, whatever. So we go to New York and now we are in the middle of our meetings. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, so, well, first, the first interview is Michael or is My, Karen? It's Michael first, Michael. yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's giving just terrible advice, like, in, or terrible like interview stuff? And he even like mentions it to Jane. He's like, so she's like, how'd it go? He's like, not. Nah, I don't think it went very well. Yeah, yeah. And we find out that they are firing Jane. Right. Which I kind of wonder if they actually had cause to fire her. Well, I mean, it does sound like there was some basis. I mean, she's not in the office. She's smoking in her office. She's using company internet for online shopping, presumably during, you know, paid work time. Not oh, come on, who hasn't done that? Well, sure, but I mean, like, if it's to a point where people can monitor you're slacking off, then clearly you're not doing a great job. You know, usually there's like right. a, a forgivable kind of slack allowed because you're still submitting work, and it seems like she wasn't even doing that part. Right. Um. And I, and also too, I mean, uh, when when this episode came out in two thousand seven, I mean, this is well after the abandoned smoking in buildings, right? right? So her smoking in her office is also probably some type of like health code violation. Um, I, honestly, I think Michael's interview goes well. Um, I think he approaches her in the way he does after the revelation that it's her job. But I think so, up until he tells her, he actually has a pretty good chance of actually getting it, I think. Well, actually, I, I was going to pose a similar question. Because at the end of the interview with uh, Wallace, he says that he got back with Jan. Right, right. Do you think that cost him the job? No, I think it's. I think really it's Jan coming back or, in. Or his... Or his uh, so is it? I think it's his like inability his, to keep the discretion. You know. 
Hmm. I think he see. I felt I felt like he had a chance, and then as soon as he told Wallace, it like went away. Yeah, I mean, because again, we're talking like weeks. You know, it's only been two weeks since they've split. Right. So, is it possible that Wallace even knew that they broke up in that way? You know, I uh, I think it's the way Michael says, like working under her or whatever, um, is what causes Wallace to have to clarify. But I think the relationship status still would have been okay, you know? Right. And then she storms back in while Karen's giving her interview and starts talking about her tits. That's right. Yeah. I, I really think it's the, how that whole thing played out affected Michael's chances more than the revelation that he was again, dating uh, Jan. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But like this episode, we set up two big things for season four. One, we set up the deposition episode yeah. with, you know, and then there's a reference to Hunter's Band, which obviously becomes a great, you know, gag in the dinner party. That's right. It's all, and I love because Wallace asks Karen about Michael. He and she she has a great answer. He's like he's perfectly suited for where he is now. That's right. Yeah, which is um, yeah, that's her like her um her like politician answer right right yeah. and, and i've written down at least three different times in in my notes today is like how how the fuck did ryan get this job <sighs> yeah you know yeah you feel like and when did he interview like it seems like all the interviews were like one on the same day or close to it yeah, I wonder if it's something maybe where he interviewed for a different position or something. Um, like Could before, be. you know, like maybe he didn't like being in the annex anymore and he finally did graduate from business school. So he was just looking for a way up. But I mean, because uh, like Jim graduated from college, but like with what degree? And with Karen, the same thing, you know, because we're talking – you know, when the show came out, like 2007, I was a year out of high school at this time, right? So the, these are people who aren't necessarily subscribing to a world where college is a mandatory thing necessarily. So when they went to college, I think they hop out and they end up getting whatever jobs they can. And that's how a lot of people get stuck at Dunder Mifflin. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Jim went in to be a salesman. He just happens to be one. Uh, so I think... Ryan specifically having a degree in that field, I think, is what gave him the leg up, you know? Yeah, maybe. But he's only got three... Well, he was a temp. I mean, he's only got, like, three years of real experience, and they're making, like, a direct... Yeah, it's true. But then he even clarifies sometime in season four where, that obviously, he was not good at sales, but he was good at managing people. Right. Which technically isn't right either, right, because of corporate fraud. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But it seems like through the interview process, um, it was Jim's to lose because, you know, uh, Wallace just keeps saying, when you get here, you know, things like that, that, you know, you're really going to enjoy here except for this HR guy. That's right. Yeah. Which gets established, assuming it's the same person, it gets established that it's Toby's brother or cousin who's the corporate HR guy. In um, Company Picnic? Um, I don't know if that's true. There's that guy, Kendall, 
who is the uh, corporate HR guy. I don't think he's related to Toby. Yeah, I thought he was related to Toby. Kendall Corporate. Um, well, Kendall Corporate does not help. The office. Hang on, listeners. We are looking. Here we go. Kendall, Thunderpedia, Mail, Human Resources, Corporate, Actor Unknown. Well, that's good. Um, first mentioned in the job when interviewing with Jim. Mm-hmm. David Wallace mentions a dislike for that HR representative, similar to Michael's dislike for Toby. Uh, in Company Picnic, Toby talks about the HR convention with a person from corporate, presumably Kendall. Kendall proves to be boring and dull just like Toby. But um, no reference necessarily of their relation. Really thought there was well we know Toby's got a brother that is out where in Colorado or some crap wherever Michael and Holly are gonna move to and he has like right, but- jams or preserves but he does not work for Dunder Mifflin right I don't I mean I really thought hmm I'm sure someone will correct us <laughs> yeah leave a comment <laughs> alright so I think we, we I want to get into one big thing. Yeah. Discussion before we kind of wrap it up yeah. here. So this is, again, one of those did the right thing, but did it in the wrong way. And that's Jim leaving Karen in New York. Okay. Okay. So, like, she's got no, I mean, she, she's got friends there, but she's got no real way back to Scranton. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they had a hotel. Right. So they probably, I mean, if they didn't actually, you know, sleep together, they definitely slept together. Right. You know, and they, they I guarantee you they didn't have two hotel rooms, you know. Right. So there was no indication of this might being a thing, and he just kind of leaves her. You know, but it was the right thing for him, you know, because. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. uh there's a lot of there's a lot in his action, right? Because how you propose it, we're looking at it from the point of view of what has he done to Karen. But right. similarly, what he did for Pam, right? Mm-hmm. Because he could not have asked Pam out that same day if he was busy fighting with Karen in the city about breaking up or whatever. So it's like he definitely put Pam above Karen in that instance. It's not like she was stranded. I mean, she's in New York City, right? It's not like she abandoned he abandoned her like while they were camping. That'd be terrible. Right. So she could have taken a very expensive train or cab ride or something uh, back. Um, and I don't know her family situation, but if she has family back in Stanford, I'm sure she could easily get back to Stanford and then you have someone drive her home to Scranton or whatever. Well, like I said, she's got friends in New York, so I would assume that she got a ride. Right, yeah. So I I think it's okay, honestly. I think um, – I mean, obviously, it should not have been done that way. Like you said, it was a, it was a well-intentioned move but poorly executed. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm okay with it having to have been done. You know? Right. I mean, he's got to do it. Yeah. Uh, but I was just an interesting – because at first I was like, because the first time you watched the episode, you're like, oh, yeah, they got together. Then, like, you know, somewhere around, like, 
watch number like 13. Right. So you're like, man, that's kind of a dick move. And now, like, <laughs> probably watch like 40. I'm like, hmm, well, I mean, like I said, right right thing to do, but probably just did it in the wrong way. Well, again, I, I do think this is probably one of the season's a low point for Jim as a person. <laughs> He's not a great guy during the season. Yeah. Uh, so he does do a lot of bad things. So it, it just it is in keeping with his character in this instance. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, Karen didn't deserve it necessarily. But, um, like, this is much closer. Jim deciding he no longer wants to be with Karen as opposed to Pam leaving Roy because Roy's being an asshole, you know? Right. So I think that's probably where the uncomfortableness of his decision is lying with us here is because they were just having a normal day. <laughs> he just splits. And right. and that's the problem. If she had done something more directly offensive, then I think, um, you know, th- it, we wouldn't feel so bad about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I think one of, but, so he splits. There's some other stuff going on, but the big thing is that she's talking about how, you know, I rejected him and he rejected me, et cetera, et cetera, and just never worked out. And then he busts through the door. He's like, hey, sorry. You want to go get some dinner tonight? He's like, like yeah. All right, then it's a date. And, like, all again, always, 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 it's all in the eyes. But, like, the look at the end with, with Pam is just perfect. It's still, it'll still well me up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great bit. You know, it's what we've been waiting for for three years. Right. I remember watching it for the first time and just losing my mind because I watched it live. Yeah. Or live when it aired, you know, and it's like, oh my God. And then it like ends, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. What? I have to wait all summer. Yeah. It's, uh, again, I, th- I think it's probably why I feel like the show is never as good as the season again. But they, I mean, they did it so well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you can question Jim's motives with leaving Karen and, um, you know, whatever. But, like, again, I, I really feel like if they left it at that moment, we could have just walked away being, like, happily ever after, you know? Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing, too, real quick, um, is just, like, it's another instance of Karen being kind of a jerk where <laughs> – Jan is being escorted out and she's like dropping all of her shit and Karen says that was a disaster or you know instead of like Jim who's like trying to show sympathy you know right you know just Karen being a little like cold again so you know I think she had you know it's okay Jim was being cold too and he learned it from her (laughs) that kind of thing yeah alright well what are you going to give this episode? I'm going to give this episode a 4.9 out of 5 yogurt lids. Uh, I gave this a 5 out of 5. It's a great episode. It's a great finale. It just hits all the emotional chords. You know, just really good. Uh, so, 5 out of 5 perfect looks from Pam. <sighs> All right. Yeah. I mean, that that's what it is. This is like the episode of The Office. And, of course, you need everything that's come before it 
to give it the context, but this is the office at its best for sure. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, you know, we're done with season three. We, we hit a huge milestone for the office storyline as a whole. Uh, is there anything you want to kind of leave off with comments about season three and what uh, you're looking forward like, to ahead? Like I said, um, for a long time, season two was always my favorite, mm. but it might be season three now. Maybe. I still love I Season two is so, still so good, but... Uh, I, I would say that uh, I mean this is it's a great season. I'm looking forward to getting into season four because I think there's some real gems in there. Yeah, but it's also going to be a hard season because of all those hour long episodes. So we might just for the listening public out there, we might there's definitely going to be times where we're only doing two right. episodes, right. but it's, it's still the same amount of time, and it's that short season. Yeah, you know. Yeah, season four was the writer's strike for those of you who forget. So it, right. it, it's a, just a weird season overall, anywho. Um, yeah, I know. So that's a good point. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, season three is the one I always remember always having in my DVD player. And I was just ro- th- rotating through all the discs back in the day. Um, you know, it's the season that I always hold all the later seasons up to. Um it, I, going into doing this show with you, I told you, I was like, listen, after season three, I don't know what I got to offer you because I'm just going to be pooping all the other stuff. But season four is good. You know, um, it's got that season three high going for it. And even though some of the pacing is a little weird with the writer's strike, there's there's a lot of good quality episodes there. And um, the Dwight Angela stuff really gets to an interesting level in next season, I think. Right, and you also you you get the dating, like the real dating of Jim and Pam, which is cool. So you get to see sort of their honeymoon phase. Right. Well, it, yeah, it's the stuff that people always want when a good movie ends. Like they want to see the happily ever after stuff. So yeah, this season is full of all that jazz, right. which is uh, which is nice to see. Yeah, I mean, season four is good. Season five is fine. Um. Yeah, and then I think it just goes down. But I mean, the again, more, I like it, but it's stupid. The more I re, the more I rewatch, the more I like season five. I think season five is pretty good, all things considered. Uh, honestly, the more I watch it, the more I like season eight. Okay. You know, with Robert California. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's two things here. I think, I think having watched them when they were originally on TV having one episode be disappointing and then having to wait another week for another episode to come out and then having that episode be disappointing is probably what tainted my view of those seasons. Cause like you're saying, I think now watching them all back to back, no problem. They're much more tolerable because I don't sit on like a weird, awkward depression. <laughs> Does that make sense? You know, I'm like, Oh, that was a sad episode or that wasn't a good episode. Instead, I just keep going, keep going, keep going. And then I just remember all the good parts from all those episodes. Right. So I think the office plays better now with the ability to watch everything. <clears throat> yeah, as opposed to back in the day having to wait every week right. or waiting a whole summer for, you know, whatever. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, you can reach us at brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. Uh, we have a bunch of other shows. You can find us at brokenjars.xyz on r slash dunder mifflin on reddit yeah 
I'm Jacob, and that's J-Ray. Yep, yep. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Later, guys.